From Tesla to the latest innovators in healthcare, Kathy Wood always keeps an eye on the disruptors. Kathy is the founder and CEO of Ark Investment Management, which runs a number one and number two exchange trade funds globally. Today, her company runs $7.4 billion in assets and has become a disruptor itself thanks to its vehicles, holdings and leadership. In 2018, Kathy was recognized in Bloomberg's top 50 list of the people who have defined global business. Kathy has spoken all over the world, and this week she finds herself in New Zealand speaking to me, your host Eli of Groundbreaking Podcast. I know you will enjoy this interview. I am still thinking about everything she shared with me. Hi, Kathy. Welcome to Groundbreaking Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us this I'm, week. I'm happy to be here, Eli. Very happy. So I wanted to start off with some lightning round questions so my audience can get to know you. What is the strangest thing you've ever eaten? <laughs> What's the strangest thing I've ever eaten? Well, um, this is how your audience really will get to know me, um, your listeners. I am probably the pickiest eater, uh, so much so that when I travel to other parts of the world... I say I'm a vegetarian because I will eat almost any vegetable, even weird-looking ones in Japan, but I will not eat fish uh, staring up at me or, or anything like that. So I'm very picky. Probably the strangest uh, food I've ever eaten, given that introduction, is something that looked like a pickle on the outside. This was in Japan at a very fancy restaurant. But inside was, was uh, <laughs> you already are anticipating a terrible outcome here. It, it looked terrible on the outside is what I was trying to say. Inside it was delicious, delicious. So, so would you eat the inside but on the outside you wouldn't? Correct. That's what I did. Was it like a greeny color? It was very green, very <laughs> ugly on the outside, I must say. But it was considered a delicacy and found it's very rare. So I felt very honored. What is the first thing you do when you get up in the morning? The first thing I do when I get up is I start my coffee and then while I'm making it, I read a, a book. It's called Jesus Calling uh, and it's a devotional. And this book was written by a woman named Sarah Young. Very inspirational book. It's very centering, very grounding, a good way to start the day. What is something we could not find about you online? I uh, grew up uh, for part of my life in England and in Ireland. Uh, in Ireland, uh, at the time, they taught school only in Gaelic. So I became fluent in Gaelic, which many people think is a dying language. Yes. Uh, and uh, I guess another thing people don't know about me, again, this is before the internet, I won a freckle contest in New York State when we first moved from England to New York State. All my freckles came out. And another two things, water ballet. I, I did water ballet when I was in California. That was fun. And uh, I actually cut a CD, Christian music. I'm, I'm, not, I'm more the harmony. Uh, my two friends were the writers and, uh, you know, really the main singers. But that was also fun. You've had an interest, you've had an interesting career. Can you share about that journey? I started my career uh, because one of my professors in college, when I was in college, introduced me to a company on the west coast of the U.S., so in California, uh, that was in 
the investment business. I knew nothing about the investment business, but I became the assistant to the economist. And that, that really launched my career.、Uh, his name was Art Laffer. He's quite well known、uh, around the world. And、uh, he is now on my board of advisors. So we're still very close. And then I moved from that first job in California to New York because、uh, a firm called Jenison Associates was looking for someone who was young enough. To help hold their clients' hands, the economy was really rough.、Uh, so interest rates and inflation, very, very high. But they didn't want someone to come in and impose his or her thinking or theories on the firm. So I started there and I, I grew up there. I started researching stocks, different industries. And The reason I am now focusing on innovation is because of that time. At the time, they let me follow, they let me become a research analyst, but I had to find my own stocks and analysts weren't going to give up their stocks. So I found companies that fell through the cracks. Like,、uh, one group of companies was called database publishing,、uh, companies like Reuters and Tellerate,、uh, which you may have heard of. Uh, nobody wanted those stocks to follow because they didn't think they were going to amount to anything. Well, guess what? Database publishing turned into the internet. And,、uh, no one wanted to follow cellular phones or wireless phones when they were the size of bricks and you had to put them inside of cars because no one thought that that was a scalable business. So I learned pretty early on just by waiting. And watching others not wanting stocks, not expecting much from these innovations, I, I just was waiting and、um, taking, uh, taking the opportunities to follow these stocks and saw how low expectations can sometimes grow spectacularly. What inspired you to start Ark Invest?、Uh, what inspired me was a movement in the investment world. Toward passive investing. So here you'd call it, is it NZ50 or NZ50? Yes, that's the big index here.、Uh, and passive investing means investors copy that index. Well, that index is made up of companies that have been very, very successful over the years and they're tried and true, but Uh, they, they are where they are in the index because of what has happened in the past. We're all about focusing on the future. And I didn't feel like enough research was being done about the future and about innovation. And so I felt it was important to start the company for that reason. And also because I wanted to add new dimensions to research. So I wanted to disrupt the financial industry. Uh, using the technologies that I had watched disrupt other industries. So, your industry, social media. We are pushing our research into social media. And I never thought Twitter was going to be the most productive network for us because I thought of this in August of 2012 when Twitter was for tweens and teens and celebrities. It wasn't for innovators. Today, the tweens, teens, and celebrities have churned out. And now you've got innovators on Twitter, in LinkedIn,、uh, 
uh, on Medium, in Telegram. There are all kinds of social networks out there. And so we are living in and we are part of the communities that we're researching and they help us with our research. Uh, no other investment firm that I know of in the public markets is allowed to do this uh, because their compliance officers are, they don't trust social media or they're afraid of being misinterpreted on social media. Uh, we have harnessed the power of social media and I think it gives us a, a very substantial uh, competitive advantage. Because um, all the teens and tweens and all of them, they use like Instagram and all of like Instagram, Facebook. Yeah, and we, we, we um, are also putting our research out on Facebook. We're starting to do, we're experimenting with Instagram. Uh, so we want to reach everyone. Uh, but the innovators, so th that's because we want to reach them and educate them about how the world's going to change and how their lives are going to change. Uh, but in terms of Twitter, the innovators live on Twitter and are talking to each other. So we are engaging and we're part of the artificial intelligence community, the autonomous vehicle community, the blockchain community. Uh, the genomics community, uh, the uh, electric vehicle uh, community. So uh, people know us in that community. They trust us because we're doing really good first principles research. Uh, and, and we are surfacing for them uh, how, how we're sizing the opportunities of the markets they're going after. That's not what they do. They've just got their heads down and they're innovating like crazy and they're moving really fast, right? And what we're doing is saying, hey, look how big your world is going to be and uh, how successful you potentially could be if you make the right moves in your industry. It's kind of like chess. If you make the right moves, yes. you'll win. Absolutely. Absolutely. Except it's, it, it moves a lot faster than chess. Yeah. Can you please tell us more about the five innovation platforms? Right. Well, I touched on them a bit, but I will, I will describe them and I'll describe why they are innovation platforms and why they are ready for prime time. All of them are ready to take off because costs have come down a lot for them. The seeds for these five innovation platforms were planted before you were born. In the late 90s, they were planted during the tech and telecom bubble. And now they're coming to life uh, and we're harvesting. Uh, so these are genomic sequencing or DNA sequencing. So when the first human genome was sequenced, so what this means is trying to figure out the code in your DNA. You have three billion lines of code in your DNA. That's a lot, right? Yeah. Um, and we're trying to unlock the secrets of life and death and health. Uh, and uh, in the early days, that took, just to do one person, 2.7 billion U.S. dollars. In New Zealand dollars, that would be almost $4 billion to do one person. We weren't ready for prime time back then. That would be like, you would have to be like, like, like a billionaire, yeah. if you oh, wanted your DNA. A to trillionaire, stay. yes. You'd have to, or a multi-billionaire, yes. So now we're down to $1,000. Uh, 
In five years, we'll be down to $100. We're ready for prime time. And that's true of all of the platforms. They're all hitting tipping points. The costs have, have dropped to a low enough point where these exponential growth trends are ready to take off. So DNA sequencing is one. Energy storage is another. So this is all about battery technology and why electric vehicles are going to go, electric vehicle sales are going to go from 1.5 million last year around the world to what we believe will be 26 million in 2023. So think about that. That's almost a 30-fold increase in five years. That's crazy growth. That's The auto industry hasn't seen that for 100 years, right? So it's a remaking of the auto industry. Robotics, industrial robots, we think, are going to drop in price from roughly $27,000 today to $11,000 in 2025. Uh, and what they're going to do is really ha- help uh, employees. They'll, they'll work alongside uh, people and they will help those people become more productive and earn money. So many people are fearful of robots. We're not. They're, they're called collaborative robots. Uh, and they're going to be outfitted with sensors so that they don't hurt people and they don't have to be caged in. Uh, and they're going to take all the menial jobs that nobody wants and that don't pay enough right now. Like, uh, like garbage. They oh. could do, they could certainly, that's absolutely, that could be, uh, one job. Certainly, the mail? Because uh-huh. the mail takes up people's time to, for other people's time. Yes, yes. And, and if you retrain those workers, they'll be able to earn more in other jobs. So we think retraining is going to be very important. And and the, one of the reasons we put all of our research up on our site at arc-invest.com is we want people to understand how the world is going to change, how their lives are going to change, how their children and grandchildren's lives are going to change, and where they should go for, for education. What, what subjects should they really focus on? They shouldn't focus on, on subjects that are going to die, you know, or jobs that are going to die. They should focus on the new growth areas. And we have phenomenal new growth in these areas. So electric vehicles, uh, I mean, uh, ro- robots uh, are going to be another um, area of uh, rapid growth going forward, especially in the industrial world. Artificial intelligence, artificial intelligence has been uh, in our imaginations since the 50s, 1950s. That's, uh, you know, almost 70, 65, 70 years ago. The reason artificial intelligence never took off is because it needed too much human programming. Now, what's happening is we're taking the human beings out of that process. The human being's role is to set the objective or the goal Uh, in autonomous vehicles, so self-driving cars. The goal is to get from point A, to get a person from point A to point B safely, right? And hopefully quickly. So that's the objective. So the way, the way we're learning that that objective will be met is if we combine three things. Big data, so collecting miles of data on the roads in the, around the world. Algorithms that iterate or change over time. So they get better and better over time. And then supercomputing power, 
those three things, you just slam them together and the, the right answer will pop out. So if the human being hasn't done anything, artificial intelligence is going to become a big deal and is going to impact every industry, every company, and all of our lives. We already see it. On Amazon, Amazon kind of knows what we might mm, like yeah. to buy. Netflix knows what we, mm. we might like to watch. YouTube. Apple, when I have my iPhone 10, uh, it knows who I am just by looking at my face, which is great, right? But that's nothing compared to what's going to happen. So artificial intelligence is a huge, it's a game, game changer. And then finally, um, blockchain technology. So you've heard of Bitcoin and crypto assets. Yeah. yeah. We think uh, that is already for prime time. Uh, it's already ready for prime time, I should say. And the reason is not because of this country's needs or America's needs. It's because of the emerging markets needs. So you know how you can get voice for free? You can talk to someone on the other side of the world for free with WhatsApp, right? Yeah. Um, that's called voice over IP. When I was growing up and when I moved from California to New York, I, um, I, it was too expensive for me to call my parents every day. I had to pay lots of money to call them. So I called them once a week. I know you're looking at me like, are you crazy? You, 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 what, I can't believe you ever had to pay for a phone call, right? Well, that's how my three children look at me too. They can't believe I paid to make a phone call anywhere. Was it expensive? It was really expensive. I probably had to pay, I'm going to say, $200 a month. That's 200 US dollars. That's crazy. That's like uh, almost three, $300. Why? Did, do you know why we had to pay? Well, we didn't have, the internet wasn't uh, in place at that time. There was no internet. There was no internet protocol in place. Well, there was, but it was only used by the Defense Department and uh, academia, schools, universities. Uh, so we had to wait for that to come to us. And in fact, not until 1991 uh, was it legal for consumers to use the internet. It was illegal for consumers to use the internet in the United States before 1991 when we had a new telecommunications act. So we couldn't even use it. So in the 80s, when I first moved, I had to pay that much. And, and, I wasn't making that much money. That was a lot of money. So what's, uh, what, why am I mentioning that? Uh, because Bitcoin and, and Bitcoin's blockchain technology is like voice over IP, except it's money over IP. It's the free transmission of money. So right now, many workers, when say they go from, uh, let's just say, India to the United States, they, if they want to send money back to their families, uh, until recently, they would have to pay, let's say they're trying to send $100, uh, they would have to pay anywhere from 8 to $25 to send that money back to their countries. They were that, That's how much the middlemen used to take. Now they can send it over... The Bitcoin with Bitcoin and their businesses cropping up, they don't even know they're sending it over the Bitcoin uh, blockchain technology, and they can do it for just a dollar or two. Isn't that crazy? Mm. And soon it will be free. Hopefully. Hopefully. So why are you in New Zealand at the moment? Oh, I'm in New Zealand because 
uh, Nico Asset Management, uh, which is our partner in throughout the Asia Pac region, has a roadshow every year called Forward, F O R E W O R D. And uh, they are showcasing different uh, portfolio teams in, in, uh, that, that are involved with the firm. So that's, that's why I'm here. And we're going from here to Australia, to Singapore, uh, and then I'm going off to Korea and to Europe. So it's, All over the world. Yes. The last two are, are not with Nico. I mean, they are with Nico Asset Management. The one in Europe is not. Is not. What innovators are you keeping an eye on from the region? Uh, so I know that Rocket Labs here in New Zealand is doing some really interesting um, work on uh, low-cost ro- robots, uh, robots, rockets. Well, rockets are robots, so yes, all fits into our robotics uh, and automation uh, theme. In fact, that's actually a good point. The, the five innovation platforms that I mentioned to you, they're converging. So I just mentioned Rocket Labs. Well, um, yes, those are rockets, and uh, they're going to be using all, uh, they're going to be, artificial intelligence is going to be impacting it. Um, another company here in uh, New Zealand, now Rocket Labs is private, so we're, we're a, a public market investor, so we can't invest in that, but we certainly are watching what they're doing. Uh, Zero here in uh, New Zealand has been a holding of ours. And uh, we're watching the competitive dynamics there because Intuit uh, is a company in the United States that uh, wants to break into Australia and New Zealand. So uh, we'll, we'll watch the competitive dynamics there. But that's uh, uh, in, in terms of uh, payments and accounting systems. Uh, that's, that's a very good company. I use Xero oh, do you? for um, accounting. Very good. What companies do you admire for successfully disrupting an industry? How have they done it? Uh, a few of the companies I really admire today, I'll, I'll have to mention names that uh, are in the top, uh, towards the top end of our portfolio. And I should mention that our, our portfolio launched here in uh, New Zealand through Nico Asset Management, uh, uh, the Disruptive Innovation Fund. I think it's the Nico. ARC Disruptive Innovation Fund just launched this week. So very timely. <laughs> yes. Tesla is the number one holding. Um, do you know Tesla? Yes. Okay. Do so you know what's great about that? You know Tesla, even though Tesla has never advertised. How do you know about Tesla? I see it all, all over on the road. And when I go with my dad, sometimes like to the park or like, cause my dad, one of my dad's friends and their friend has a tesla oh. and sometimes my we go to their house and we get to ride in the tesla so what you're saying reminds me of the early days of the personal computer uh one person got a, a personal computer at their house and they became you know the house that everybody wanted to be invited to so that they could see the personal computer and see how it worked this was in the 80s right? A long, 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 long time ago. But the same thing's happening with Tesla today. What has Tesla done that is so breakthrough? They the, Three things. First of all, they uh, Elon Musk is trying to save the planet. So he uh, has accelerated the pace of change in battery technology. And his battery technology is four years ahead 
of any of the batteries that we see going into um, other auto manufacturers. So first, he uh, did uh, was an innovator focused on battery technology. Then he, he focused on artificial intelligence and has designed his own chip, Tesla's own chip, uh, which is going to be put in their car uh, and is going to be able to use all the data that your father's friend's uh, car is collecting to learn all about the roads here in New Zealand. And all the cars, all the Tesla cars that uh, are sold here in New Zealand are going to be data collection devices. And they're going to send data back to Tesla so that Tesla knows the roads of New Zealand better than any other auto manufacturer. Why do they want to do that? Because they want to be the first, if possible. I know in the United States, they will be the first, uh, we think, to go commercial with self-driving cars and really autonomous taxi networks, uh, which is going to be not like a hardware business with low profitability, but a software business, transportation as a service with very high profitability. Mm, yeah. So that's uh, Tesla's one. Square is another in the payment space. It's more U.S.-based right now, but uh, they're doing some very creative things, which um, suggest to us that they're going to they're going to uh, expand across the world much faster than people think. Have you heard of Venmo uh, by PayPal? Oh it, yes. It's so when you use Venmo, a group of people can go to a restaurant together, and one person can pay. And everyone else can Venmo their share to that person. So it's kind of got a social side to it, which is, you know, very transparent. And uh, uh, some people are paying their rent on with Venmo. Well, Square is doing the same thing, but it started with small businesses and small businesses that typically aren't they, they aren't big users of banks. It's really servicing the unbanked. So the hairdresser or uh, the, the taxi driver, uh, they, they're able to use, so it's called Square because of this little device that they can put on top of their uh, cell phone and then allow, uh, it's a Square device, allow credit cards to swipe through it and get paid that way. It's right? cool. It is cool. It's like a mini um, like credit card, yes, if possible. Absolutely, absolutely. I imagine so, they could like make PayWave. Yes, yes. So what, what we're seeing, and this goes back to our payments discussion earlier, uh, now Square, because it sees every piece of business that these companies do, it's able to see if they're doing well. And if they're doing really well, what does Square do? Uh, it says, well, we think your business is doing so well that we would like to give you a loan so you can make your business grow even faster. And uh, it will be able to see then how well is the company doing that. Uh, and then they say, well, you know what? We would like to ha give help you handle your employees now that you're hiring so many uh, more people. We'll do your payroll, payroll processing for you. It's starting to accommodate small businesses that would never be able to afford this using traditional services. Uh, and uh, the most interesting thing that it's done recently is it's allowing on uh, the Cash App. Cash App is what consumers and businesses can use to store cash or to buy and sell Bitcoin. 
You can buy and sell Bitcoin essentially for free there. And the reason we think that's interesting is because Bitcoin, we think, is more about the emerging markets. than it's, So we think that they're going to enter emerging markets because they're going to be starting to do, they're starting to do a lot more with Bitcoin. And as I described before, workers who move from one country to another just to work and send money back to their family will be able to do it this way. This will get uh, square into many more countries much sooner than otherwise would be the case. What industries do you think are ripe for disruption? I think every industry is going to be disrupted and by these five new platforms. These five new platforms are spawning 14 different technologies that are very disruptive. We think that banking, we just talked about these payments companies, uh, we think banking is going to be disrupted and that most banks are going to lose the, the a lot of customers to these Square. digital providers of payment systems, right? Yeah. These these uh, like Square and PayPal, they they can attract new um, uh, users for roughly twenty dollars per person, whereas a bank to attract new users has to pay anywhere from three hundred to $1,500 to attract a new user. So you and, well, your father probably gets a lot of mail saying, use my credit card or use my credit card or use my insurance policy. That costs a lot of money. The digital players just have to uh, get something viral going, social going, uh, and it's much easier to attract new users. So what Square has done, just to give you a sense, is they have something called Cash App Friday and Super Cash App Friday. So Cash App Friday, they worked with Burger King uh, and said, okay, this week we're going to give the winner $10,000 to pay off student loans. Well, can you imagine how many new people came to the Cash App because of that? And on another day, Super Cash App Friday, they gave away one Bitcoin. One Bitcoin today is worth 10,000 US dollars. So 14,000, 13, 14,000 New Zealand dollars. That's one heck of a prize. Can you imagine how many people are signing on to Cash App? So uh, uh, we think that banks are going to be in uh, trouble. We think that energy companies are going to be in trouble because autonomous taxi platform uh, or autonomous taxis uh, are going to be electric. And so, uh, I mean, 60% of oil consumption is because of transportation, not just cars, but trucks and rail and... Buses. Buses and airplanes and so forth. We think the car part of that and the truck part of that is going to disappear. So, uh, for example, I'll give you an example. I have a Model 3, a Tesla. And now, since I was 16 years old in California, I used to go to the gas station every week, every week, automatically, it was an errand I had to do or else I wouldn't be able to drive my car. I got my Tesla Model 3 last September, a year ago. I've been to the gas station once. And it's not for the Model 3. It's for my other car that I don't even like to drive anymore. But I have to drive it just to keep it going. So uh, just once. Can you imagine how much business they've lost for me? I don't. I have 51 of the last 52 weeks. I have not gone to go get gas. I've gone to almost zero consumption of gasoline. 
so uh, I think banking, energy, we think uh, the auto, traditional auto uh, stocks are, uh, or companies are in trouble. It's going to be very difficult to convert to electric and then autonomous. They don't have the right DNA for that. We think railroads are in trouble. And the reason for that is because, and I don't mean today, I mean in the next five years. Uh, the reason for that is because uh, when uh, trucks go autonomous, they're going, and they're going to go into platoons, so a bunch of them will be together at one time. Maybe you have just one driver instead of 10 or 20 drivers, right? Uh, so they'll all be uh, together. Um, it will cost less to transport freight by uh, autonomous trucks, according to our research, then it will cost to transport by rail. So to give you an example of how much that changes, today it is three times more expensive to transport freight by human-driven trucks than by rail. Uh, so it's 12 cents per ton mile versus 4 cents per ton mile. With autonomous truck platoons, it's going to drop to Three cents. So from 12 cents to three cents. So railroads are going to have to think about their business. Um, so a lot of traditional ways of doing things are going to change. We think any in the healthcare space, any traditional pharma company that isn't focused on DNA sequencing and uh, really understanding what drugs will work on which diseases. Uh, you know, they're, and, and to the extent they're still hostage to blockbuster drugs, they're going to lose out because we're moving from blockbuster drugs to personalized medicine. They'll look at my DNA and say, okay, these are the genes in her DNA that have mutated from the last time we checked to this time. Let's go in and correct those with gene editing technology, right? So I am... I am going to have personalized medicine. Uh, the pharma companies are used to just giving everybody the same drug. That's not going to work anymore. So healthcare is probably going to go undergo the most radical transfer, uh, transformation of almost any industry out there. Yeah. Think about that. A mutation in your genome, three billion lines of code, we're finally going to be able to find it. Before it was just guessing. Earlier this year, you interviewed Elon Musk. What do you see for the EV market over the next five years? Well, we do see explosive growth going from 1.5 million units last year to 26 million units uh, in 2023, when most forecasters are saying only four and a half million. So I think what he's doing from an innovation point of view is going to be explosive in terms of the electric vehicle market. In terms of the autonomous vehicle market, it's going to change the course of history in terms of energy. I think oil prices are going down long term. Right now, we're going to see a spike because of what has happened in the Middle East uh, uh, recently. Uh, but, you know, he, he is a renaissance man. Uh, you know, he is the Thomas Edison of our age. I said that five years ago when I started the company and people, people laughed because nobody expected much from Tesla. Uh, now, when you look at what he's doing with SpaceX and, you know, uh, hoping to go to Mars, hope, I think he's determined to go to Mars. Um, I know he's determined to go to Mars. What he's doing in terms of uh, having an environmental impact on the world with electric vehicles, 
um, I think is astonishing. And many people underestimate how quickly this is going to happen. Autonomous vehicles, think about it. How, how, what percent of the day does your father drive his car? Mm, probably when he like comes home or drives to work. Five percent of the day he's in the car, right? That car is idle 95% of the day. With autonomous vehicles, these cars are going to be on the road 60-70% of the day, and these are going to be electric. So many people, and I've seen uh, analysis very recently, many people say, ah, electric vehicles, such a small part of the installed base of autos. You can't look at it that way. It's percentage of miles traveled are going autonomous in a big way, much faster. So, uh, and then, of course, he has the Boring Company. Have you heard about that? Hyperloop, transportation underground, vacuum, like going from, going from, uh, this is going to be hard for, I guess maybe it would be, it's the same distance from uh, Wellington to Auckland as it is from San Francisco to Los Angeles. Uh, think about making that trip in something like a car, but going in a tube underground uh, in one hour instead of eight hours by car. The way he's building it, uh, you know, electromagnetic en- energy, is, it'll be like, um, it'll be like uh, being whisked through a vacuum tube. And this, can, you know, Los Angeles is an area where there are earthquakes. And I know you've had earthquakes in this country, but even, even it can even manage uh, around earthquakes. Yes. It's incredible. It's incredible. It's incredible what he's doing. And I can't wait to hear what he's doing next. But he, in terms of on the podcast, he, um, he was uh, uh, so thoughtful, as he always is. He was getting a bad rap at the time for his antics on a podcast. Uh, I don't know if you heard about those, but Joe Rogan's podcast. And what was so interesting is his antics were... Well, I won't go into what his antics were, but, but that, that, just that one clip made it around all the news work, uh, newscasts. Uh, what they didn't do is listen to the two and a half hour interview he had with Joe Rogan. And, and if you had listened to it, and I would, I would recommend you and your listeners listen to it, you would have learned so much about this brilliant man, how he thinks and how he's changing the world. Um, I think he's very sincere in his, uh, in, in everything he's doing in terms of saving, saving us from ourselves, uh, from an environmental point of view and exploring the universe. Uh, and, you know, I think I, I, I've never, I, I, I admire Musk much in the way, way I admire Trump. There's something called Trump derangement syndrome in the United States. It's, People hate Trump just to hate him. And the same is true with Musk. They, they, anything, you know, I must be the most trolled portfolio manager on Twitter. And anytime I say anything about Twitter, I will have all of the negative, uh, you know, the, the bears, we call them bears out there, those negative <laughs> people all over me, uh, which just tells me we might be onto something. Whenever anyone is that emotional about s- someone who's doing such brilliant things, I know there's um, there's some irrationality uh, associated with it, and we're probably on the right track. Because my dad said when people say s- stuff 
about what you're doing. They're kind of it's kind of like like bad stuff about what you're doing. It's kind of like to let you down、mm-hmm. and stop what you're doing because they might be a bit jealous. Ah, well, I like that interpretation. I I actually.、Um... Yes, you're 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 right about that. I I actually take it in a positive way though,、uh, because we will truth will win out. Truth will win out. Our research, which is again based on first principles,、uh, we be, and and centered on something called Wright's law, we believe is showing、uh, is correct in terms of the forecast. And if we're right, all of those. Negative,、um, whether they're analysts or speculators, whoever they are, they are going to have to change their minds. Truth does win out in the stock market, and you know, frankly, in terms of my career, it's been a great place to be because, you know, you know, a lot of people say that women are discriminated against in many many industries. In our industry, sure, that women have their battles as well. But our report card is our performance, and if you can be measured in black and white, as we can, and if truth wins out, and we're right, those people are going to have to change their mind. Yes. What should businesses be doing now to future-proof their workforce in a world of disruption? Well, first of all,、um, the, they they should pay attention to these innovation platforms and、uh, understand how they might、uh, how their businesses might be disrupt, disrupted, and then they need to embrace the change. And sometimes that's really hard. In fact, that's why a lot of companies end up failing is they can't change from the old DNA to the new DNA. And when they can't, they'll they either start. They're more willing to be acquired, or they just fail, right? So that's the first thing. And then they need to retrain their workforce, right? They need to retrain their workforce because employees, if they're if these businesses are going to be disrupted, their employees are going to be disrupted. So let's figure out how the world is going to change, and let's get some training going on. And it's and and I don't mean、uh, we don't mean this doesn't mean. Have them go back to college. There are many、uh, organizations popping up that are online education companies、uh, and that award certificates for specialized skills. Uh, uh, there are there are、uh, also companies like Trilogy, which is owned by Two You in the United States. That's that's a boot camp for programmers. You know, one of the best stories I've heard. Uh, about retraining is if you go to West Virginia, which is coal mining territory、uh, in the United States, because utilities are not are starting to move towards natural gas and away from coal、uh, and to renewables and away from coal, those coal miners are going to lose their jobs. So a boot camp has gone in and trained some of these West Virginia coal miners and. And there are a lot of people who thought, ah,、oh, they're not trainable. All they know how to do is mine, mine. coal, right?、Uh, guess what? They're some of the best programmers, and they're motivated because they know they're going to lose their job at some point because coal is diminishing in its use at utilities. 
So the writing's on the wall as we as we go more towards renewables. Because coal used to be like in the old days, it used to be like kind of like gold. Well, and when I lived in England in the old days, we had under the house. This was in the old days under our house, a place where we stored coal because we used coal. What lesson in business are entrepreneurs failing to learn? I think entrepreneurs very often fail because they don't focus enough. They they become very excited about what their new technology might be able to do,、mm. and then they think they can apply it to all these industries.、Uh, I think, and I started my own company five years ago, and we had to focus, focus, focus. We focused on disruptive innovation. Most people thought we were crazy because they thought, "Ah,、oh, that's too niche. That's not going anywhere. You can't scale that. You're going to fail because everyone's going passive." And quite the opposite has happened, thanks to our partners、uh, um, at Nico Asset Management, and we have another partner,、um, Resolute Investment Managers. We have scaled from nothing under management when we first started the company to now ten billion dollars. Because guess what? We focused on disruptive innovation, and we felt it was such an important and unmet need in portfolios that we said, "No, I I don't think this is just a niche. I think this is where the world is going. It's going to be very big, and it's missing in most investors' portfolios right now because they've moved to index funds, which are all about the past." With everything happening in the world. Why should entrepreneurs keep focused on identifying the best opportunities? You mean with all the trouble going on in the world, yeah. the geopolitics? So yeah, there's so much like in, going like on. Like in Hong Kong. Hong Kong,、uh, you've got over,、uh, you've got、uh, Saudi Arabia experiencing.、Um, well, one of their refineries has gone out, and that's taken five million barrels out of、uh, out of production. So that's a shock to the system. You've got Venezuela and Argentina. You've got Brexit.、Uh, so yeah, there are tremendous.、Uh, there's tremendous turmoil in the world. Well, what we have learned is when there's a lot of uncertainty and people are really worried, then businesses and consumers are willing to think about doing things differently. If you're offering something, your company is offering something that's cheaper. Uh, faster, more efficient, or productive, or that's going to enable a company to create new products and services so that they can salvage their revenue growth.、Uh, then uh, that kind of product usually gains market share, gains traction, and gains market share in periods of uncertainty and turmoil. So better, cheaper, faster wins in an uncertain world. Who inspires you? Oh,、uh, many people inspire me.、Uh, I will say, my father, who's ninety-three years old, he was—he、um, really got his education. He he grew up in Ireland, and、um, you know, really interesting story, which I won't go into, but really had to overcome all kinds of odds, and he ended up getting his education in the、um, uh, Irish Army. And the American Air Force at a time when radar systems were evolving, and radar was the most important technology at the time, and he became an expert at it and a troubleshooter. That's why we traveled all around the world and the country and the U.S.、Uh, 
so he's, uh, he's, as my father says, go where the action is. And so that certainly was inspirational. Art Laffer, my mentor from the university who introduced me to my first job, he inspires me. He's brilliant. And he's helped me uh, develop a perspective about the world that I wouldn't have uh, without him. And He's certainly encouraged me as, uh, in my new business, and he's been a, a big cheerleader for me. In terms of people I don't know personally, uh, I'm, I'm seeing some women leaders in the United States uh, evolve. Uh, Nikki Haley and uh, Marsha Blackburn. I think they could, one of those two could become uh, the first female president of the United States. They're pretty amazing women. They've been senators, governors, um, uh, and uh, Nikki Haley uh, was our representative at the UN for a time. Uh, in terms of music, uh, Taylor Swift, I, I really, I, I've watched her career for a reason, um, and uh, it is because I met her father. Uh, I was giving a presentation to a group of investors and her father came up to me and he had two autographed pictures of someone I had never heard of, Taylor Swift, when she was 15 years old. Two autographed pictures that I still have. And so I've watched her career uh, and of course she's become, uh, she's an amazing artist, but she's an amazing businesswoman too. She's done both of those things really well. So um, I've watched her career with interest. And, you know, she stood up to Apple, too. When Apple uh, was going to, it had something to do with offering free music, and she thought that that was really hurting artists. So she stood up for all the other artists out there and said no. And so Apple backed off uh, when they were going to offer free trials um, of these artists' music. Um, and then I'm going to say, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to say someone that will probably surprise you. It'll surprise everyone in this room. Probably my company. And, uh, uh, one of those is, um, President Trump. Uh, most, most people, um, don't understand him. Yeah. I don't pay attention to anything he says. And, and he certainly, uh, has, um, his way with words, but I pay attention to what he's doing and his focus back to focus again. He's done amazing things for our economy. And I think he's, um, stirring up the world in a way that history will treat very kindly. Now, many people, many people don't agree with me on this. Uh, but I think, uh, we should let history be our guide. Okay. Final question from me. What has surprised you the most from your journey thus far? I'm going to give you one uh, negative surprise and one positive surprise. So I'll start with the negative. What surprised me when I started the business is uh, how many doors were closed. Now, I know a lot of people. I've been in the business for almost 40 years. I was surprised at how many doors were closed to me because we started uh, with something called ETFs, exchange traded funds, which which most of them, 99.5% of the equity funds out there are passive. And here I was going in with an active fund. They didn't, we didn't speak the same language. And I knew a lot of powerful people in on Wall Street, but they weren't the right people. 
that part of the world shut its doors, didn't want to hear from us, and some of them were actually quite insulting. And uh, that was quite a surprise to me. Most, on the ETF side, most people had never invested uh, actively, which means looking at the future. They were they had moved into the passive world, which is really backwards looking. I didn't understand that we we would not be speaking the same language. We we couldn't even relate to each other. So that was shocking because it took it took three years for us to find the right distribution partner who would take a risk on us that way. Uh, so that was the negative surprise, and part of that negative surprise was also that is they could make more money. The, the, the wire houses is what I'll call it, could make more money doing things the old way than the new way with an active ETF. So that's the first one. If you keep on knocking on doors, mm-hmm. eventually one will open. Yes, that's exactly right. Exactly right. So we didn't give up. We didn't give up. And, uh, and so that feeds into the positive surprise. The positive surprise if, if you had told me when I started the company that more than half of our asset base, more than half of the $10 billion that we manage today would be outside of the United States, I don't think there's any other U.S.-based uh, investment manager with more than half of their assets outside of the United States. Uh, that has been the most positive surprise. And it's thanks to, to Nico. Nico Asset Management, our partner, that took a minority interest in us. And the Asia-Pac region, and that includes New Zealand and Australia, uh, they, they accepted what we were doing so much faster than the United States did. And we were based in the United States. Silicon Valley's in the United States. That's all about innovation. But Asia-Pac was ready for our message much sooner than the U.S. was. Now the U.S. is catching up, but Asia-Pac really led the charge. And so just huge positive surprise, all good. Thank you so much for joining us, Kathy. It's been great listening to you. Oh, it's been really fun, Eli. Um, You're doing a great thing here. I can tell you're a student of innovation, and um, I wish you uh, great success with your podcast. Thanks for joining us this week. If you enjoyed this interview, please leave me a comment down below and be sure to subscribe and share this podcast with your network. As always, stay awesome and share the love.